Nehemiah chapter 6, we're going to read in verse 15, two verses in just a moment. But uh, although momentum, they, the origin uh, would say that Isaac Newton started, but um, you know, over the course of the years, decades, and uh, that 1960, actually the concept of the big mole or the big momentum was originally then applied to sporting events where the idea of a team that gathers momentum, they begin to believe that they can win the game, which begins to affect the whole team. And the team begins to get on a roll and eventually gets on fire. Everyone gets on fire, they win the game. And uh, what's true for sporting teams is true for a church. When a group of people begin to believe that they can win, spiritual momentum begins to take hold. But there's two elements to this. Number one, that is a man who would provide a spark. And secondly, is a people who would get on fire. Marshall Lynch, an NFL player. You know, I love sport. But he, he termed the, uh, the, the term, he coined the term beast mode. And he earned the actual reputation for his ability to plow through opposition on the footy field. But this term has the ideal to unleash the inner beast that creates a supercharged energy that is contagious. You know, the urgent urban dictionary describes it like it's a way of life. Its purpose is to put a human into a mode that is dedicated, focused, ferocious, and tenacious. It's hype without the hype. It's hyped without the hype, pumped without the juice, high without the drugs. Beast mode is a way to take the ordinary and make it extraordinary. I want to preach a sermon on momentum that I've entitled Beast Mode this morning. Two verses out of our text this morning. Let's read out of Nehemiah 6, starting in verse 15. So the war was completed in 52 days on the 20th year of Elul. When all our enemies heard about this, all surrounding nations were afraid and disheartened, for they realized that this task had been accomplished by God. Amen. Beast mode. Let's look look firstly at the movement. You know, in our text here, Nehemiah united uh, the people. We know here he gathered all the people together to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And what it was originally took four years to actually build four kilometers of, you know, 12-meter-high walls made out of brick and stone, he repaired in 52 days. And what moved him into action was a holy discontentment and a spark in his heart. You backtrack in Nehemiah 2, verse 17. He says, Then I said to them, You see the trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins, and the gates have been burned down, Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem so that we will no longer be a disgrace. And verse 18 says, let us start rebuilding. They replied, and they set their hands to the good work. Like any movement that goes on, it can only gain traction when people capture the vision. In May 26, 2020, after the killing of George Floyd, sparked a worldwide here, thousands of people protesting uh, uh, against police brutality all over the world. See, what what started in one place uh, spread all over the world, 
and gave air to the woke culture as well. Not that it's a whole other thing. But my point being is all it takes is a shared belief, one event to spark a fire within someone's heart to drive a group of people to influence the world. Our Christian mantra this morning is Matthew 28, 19, and we know that is to go into all the world and preach the gospel to all the nations. Our call is to make disciples. And what God is looking for this morning is a man that would go beast mode and a people that will catch the vision. See, because the enemy of momentum here is inertia. In other words, an inaction or inactivity or the tendency to do nothing and remain unchanged. If this describes you this morning, there's an altar call coming later on. But there's a fact is that we have an amazing ability to get bored with good things over time. Harvard College was founded in 1638 with the aim to train pastors into the ministry. In 1700s, more than half of their graduates who actually go into the ministry. But by 1869, no longer it is a, a, a spiritual pursuit. Now it's an academic pursuit. So over time, they drifted. You know, William Booth, I read a bio about him. He's the founder of, uh, of the Salvation Army. But he would turn in his grave today if he knew the reputation of what was once a militant move of God and now as just a second-hand clothing store. You know, God bless them in all the streams of noble work that they do, but they are a shell of what they started off as. They've been around now for 157 years, and in that time, they've touched 132 countries. We've been here 52 years, and we've touched 138 countries. I'm not making comparison like we're better or anything like that. My question would be here this morning is where would we be in 157 years? Because for every movement for, to continue, momentum needs to be maintained. And the problem is the resistance to change, temptation to drift and get comfortable. And so as you rewind the tape here as a, in Nehemiah 76 years before, you, you read the, the, about in Haggai, this generation that actually got sidetracked. They got caught up building their own houses and, and uh, while the temple laid in ruins. So interesting enough, Haggai, actually, he's, he's the definition of his name means my holidays. <laughs> my house, you can add to that, my time, my comfort, my security. And the problem isn't these good things in life. We need these things. But the problem is, is placing personal interest above kingdom interest. The call today is to lay down our lives for the call of God. And not to remain unchanged and stay stale. Like what Bruce Lee says, flowing water never goes stale. <laughs> so when there is no vision or no flow or forward motion, then people and churches, they become stagnant and stale. More focused on holidays than holy days. I thought Steve Stefan would like that one. <laughs> but the fact that it took 46 years to rebuild the temple, and in that time, listen, there was a lot of setbacks and oppositions and troubles they had to face. Right? The building stored for 18 years because of the Samaritans complaining. There's always going to be haters out there, Pastor, <laughs> disciples. And if you're a complainer here this morning, rather than work for momentum and towards momentum, you work against it. 
And the result is that people get discouraged, morale is low, and people simply lose the focus. But I want to encourage every disciple this morning that any work set out by God is not dependent on man's abilities, but God's ability. Zechariah speaks into this period and reminds the people at that time, Zechariah 4.6, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Because once God supercharges the church and people capture the vision, it's like a freight train running and plowing through difficulties, hardships, pain, complaints, rebellions. God just is on the move. Pastor Mitch has always said, this is not a work of man, but a work of God. In verse 16 of our text, Nehemiah says uh, that the enemies trembled as they knew that it had been accomplished uh, by God. You know, we don't just need new strategies this week, man. We need God uh, and the Holy Ghost to breathe on us. See, God is looking for a man. He's looking for a couple. He's looking for a, a spark in a heart that people will be inspired by a vision. Right To be faithful to the call and mandate uh, and to create an atmosphere conducive uh, towards the vision. So let's secondly consider then the magnetic power of momentum. You know, one of the things I often question is um, those people that line up in front of uh, restaurants for like long. Are you, are you one of those people? Because I'm the other person thinking, why would you do that? <laughs> The food can't be that good. You know what I came, I concluded, it just brainwashed. <laughs> Hours. You know, 20, um, uh, 2007, cult leader Steve Jobs, he created a culture, he created a culture of Apple Qs, which actually started at the release of the first iPhone. And here are people lining up, hundreds of people camping out, lining up for days, enduring rain and the cold just to buy an overpriced item. Some of you Apple cult members here. <laughs> but the fact is that people are drawn to something that is moving and alive. John 5 speaks about the lame man beside the pool of Bethesda. Right there it is, man, there's waiting to, to be stirred. Uh, and the pool was surrounded by crowds of sick people. They just crowded there, these five porches, right? But they crowded with the thought and idea of deliverance and freedom. Because the reality is that a crowd draws a crowd. And it begins to create somewhat of a momentum. See, a study done on churches says the law of motion show that small churches moving faster can actually generate more momentum than larger churches moving slowly. It says once you get up your speed, you generate huge momentum, which attracts people who like to be a part of something going on, happening, and moving. So I want to consider four imperatives towards momentum. Number one is the faith of a leader. A wife argues with her husband about going to church. Husband responds, they don't like me, they avoid me, they gossip about me, they say they give, they don't, they're inconsistent. So give me one reason why I should go. Wife responds, you're the pastor. <laughs> and we know you've got a problem when the pastor's lost the victory. See, because the biggest barrier towards spiritual momentum is the lack of faith. And there's a problem if you don't believe the, what you believe, how are the people going to believe it? 
When people are defeated, then they begin to start questioning themselves. They focus on the rubbish rather than revival. They begin to see things. They begin to come to conclusions. The church is too small. Not enough, you know, uh, musicians. Not enough this, not enough that. See, Nehemiah believed God for the people. He believed in the project and the proof was that he gathered and rallied them and they did it and put it off in 52 days. Because the fact is, pastor, is that if you would believe, the people will believe. Secondly is the focused vision. David Shope. He says, when you focus your attention on your intention, you gain momentum. And when you think about the power of focus, you, 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 know, you, you, you see a, a water boil, a steam, it, it, it comes up and it, and it dissipates. But you take that same steam and you focus it in, it's able to power a freight train. Right? You, you look at some lamps you, 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 and candles, you can blow it out. But you take that same flame, you focus that light in, you can cut it, you can cut through 20 mil steel. This is the power of focus. And when our vision is focused in, we can do some things. There is something that stirs in the heart of a man and a woman and a couple. That doesn't matter how many setbacks have happened, doesn't matter the things that I'm experiencing. Right now, I see the future and the future looks good. Nehemiah simply, simply appealed to the vision and the legacy and the spiritual dignity. And as disciples, we are driven for conquest and not comfort. Right? And when we preach vision, we preach it like we mean it. We preach it like we see it. I remember preaching to six people, we're going to take the world. They looked at me like I'm crazy. <laughs> and partly because I was. And so are you if you're wanting to pioneer. <laughs> but there's something about that. When we're praying for revival, I'm praying God transform our community. Shut down the pubs and the brothels and, and everything else. Uh, the coppers are walking around saying, without a job. Scratching their heads thinking, what's going on in our community? Right? That's when revival comes that God breathes uh, on, a, on a country, on a, on a, on a community. We're believing for community transformation, not just the ones and twos, but God transform. Give us a revival in Australia. I believe God for families, for disciples and buildings and full time and planting churches. Listen, when I went out to Pioneer, I wasn't planning to build a church. The aim was to raise a disciple and plan him out. And when you have that aim, you listen, you, you preach differently. You preach vision like you, you see it. Such a relief when you walk into a prayer room, you hear your disciples praying for your pastor to be full-time. I remember hearing the disciples make my pastor full-time and, and calling on God, laying on God for me to become full-time. The fact is they should have got more specific because God answered their prayer in a way they didn't want it. <laughs> so be more specific in your prayer. And it turns out if you're crazy enough to believe God for the impossible, your people will be crazy enough to believe along with you. So let's thirdly think about faithful followers. 
Because the role of the first disciple is vital. And I'm not talking about firecracker disciples that come, make a scene, and disappear. Or you come in a shirt and tie, you've got no substance about you. I'm talking about one that gives himself to the vision. Because your role is that you begin to teach others how to follow. And you're so much as a leader as your pastor. You know why? Because you're leading those that are following your pastor through your example. And as you begin to follow, suddenly another brother comes, another disciple decides, hey, I'm going to go all out. I'm going to be a full-time disciple. So all of a sudden, one turns into two. Now you're three of you crazy guys on the street preaching. And guess what? Three's the crowd, right? A crowd draws a crowd. And then something begins to pick up. Right? Something exciting begins to happen. Because now every service, I want to come see my brothers. I want to come see my family. And so I want to come, what are you doing today? Um, nothing. Oh, let's go to revival. Let's go somewhere. Right? Because this is a family. It begins to generate an excitement and a love just to be around the brethren. Courage to see uh, other states here. I believe God's uh, got something for our nation and our uh, things that are coming towards us. God has a, a plan for Australia. See, the challenge, however, is now turning the crowd into a congregation. And it's often, you know, your ability to begin to help them to understand that we're contributors and not spectators. That we're soldiers and not civilians. Second Timothy 2.4, no one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of his life. That he may please the one who has enlisted him as a soldier, Jesus Christ. That's our aim. See, every conference is a time for disciples uh, to catch the vision. As the church, we're a people's conference, so the church comes, uh, and our prayer as pastors is that, that, we, that we'll be refreshed, uh, recalibrated, and remain uh, mission true. See, don't underestimate your role as a disciple and as a follower of Jesus Christ, because your job is to teach others how to follow. See, a good leader is a good follower. Because we're all following somebody. Can you say amen? Thirdly is flexibility. And this may vary depending on the size of your church. But the truth is momentum can cause a lot of interruptions and inconveniences. And that upsets people (laughs) that are structured. You know, the Jews kept structure. They were, were, you know, they were celebrating the feast. They were so structured, man. They kept everything. They had laws, they had schedules, they had calendars. And I often think, sometimes we ask God for revival, but only if it fits in our calendar. Because momentum and revival is messy. And this is where we need to be flexible. Right? A healthy tension between a soldier and a civilian. Right? Soldiers fight. You know, in the beginning, uh, you know, my moves of a church and, and pioneering, you know, uh, everyone's on outreach. You know, 20, 30, everyone's on outreach. I remember when I got saved, everyone was on outreach because we're all soldiers. 
But as the church grows, all these things happen, all these dynamics come into play. And we have to get flexible. We have to be able to understand this tension and this balance. Because I know you love that word. <laughs> See, Nehemiah had the people working from home. He, he consulted HR and he says, hey, we need a balance between life, uh, you know, work and, and life. <laughs> and he had them work in front of their houses. Sword in one hand, brick in another. Enemies come, use the brick first. <laughs> John Maxwell says, momentum solves 80% of your problems. Because here, what would normally be unacceptable to people has suddenly become a part and parcel of the ride of momentum. Right, do you remember Parramatta Bryan's Road with all the, the heat and no aircon? How did you ever do that? <laughs> right, rallies, man, you go in the summer, you're like sweating. We didn't care, man, we want the word of God. Sometimes it boggles my mind how fearful would ever had revival upstairs in that obscure building. Why would people come? Like you have to carry your pram up like Mount Everest. And you have to park all the way back in Vietnam, you know? And you have to walk blocks and blocks. So why, why did people do that? See, the focus this morning is not church growth, but church health. Because natural, healthy things grow. When there is unity, hospitality, there's growth capacity. Hospitality, too much of that, you grow in different ways. <laughs> Pastor Chris had a, New Zealand had a great outreach strategy, a revolving one. Every six months, get them fat, fellowship, and then do a weight loss challenge. <laughs> <laughs> when they lose it, they start again. <laughs> Peter Drucker famously quoted, culture eats strategy for breakfast. In Acts 2, in the upper room, 120 of them there, they were displaced, they were despondent, they were depressed, persecuted. But yet the Holy Ghost fell on them. Why? Because they were in one accord, united as one. 2024's best companies to work for, they say that people consider culture are like magnets. They either compel or they repel. And this is true for some churches. Southwest Airlines employees says, who are convinced of a larger common goal and uh, are people who are excited to be a part of a larger purpose. The company Zoom says literally every, uh, every single person you come in contact with on a daily basis loves working at Zoom. It's a culture that you can't, you, you can't, you can't see, uh, it's a culture you can't see, but everyone can feel it. Twitter says that you can't beat having team members who are, uh, who are pleasant and friendly to each other and are both good at, uh, at and love what they do. No program activity or set of rules tops having a happy, fulfilled employees who feel what they do matters. And so what's true for these companies is true for churches. That there is an underlining culture that draws the sinner to want to belong. 
It is a culture of love, of sacrifice and service. This is why we find it hard to say bye five times before you leave. And your wife's like... I remember a conference 2010. My son was launched out Friday night out of my wife's belly, as that is. <laughs> conference finished, and uh, you know, she's having contractions during the, uh, during the announcements. And she's like, I'm like, you want to go? She's like, no, no, I want to see the announcements. <laughs> and so we're waiting and waiting. And so the church finishes, and, you know, the announcements happen. Everyone's like, ah! And she's like, we need to go. <laughs> oh, you go, man. I'm like there. I'm like here. I'm like yeah. It's like, I'm like. <laughs> One hour later. <laughs> no, that wasn't an hour. We, I, I was, I was a good husband. I got the car, good kid. Got her kids and got new converts, and, and we went. <laughs> but we dropped by to get takeaway before we were in hospital. <laughs> and while she was waiting in the car, getting takeaway, the water broke. And so I quickly ran back into the car. <laughs> My water broke. <laughs> and so we drive to the hospital. I tell the new converts, just wait here. I'll go in. My wife. <laughs> Please take care of my kids. <laughs> Uh, we'll be a sec. <laughs> so I go to the hospital. There we are. I'm there. You know, 40 minutes later, I'm out. She's done. She's in the... <laughs> Lady's like, I can't believe you did that. <laughs> I can't believe you let your wife go through that. <laughs> How does she put up with you? <laughs> Listen, what's normally unacceptable becomes acceptable when you love what you do. John 12, 32, it says, And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw everyone to myself. Here's a miracle. Let's close this morning with the miracle of momentum. You know, it is a mystery to momentum. Right? And we can't reduce it down to a formula because that would, that would, that would frustrate people. Because we can't figure this out. It is a work of God. It has to be a miracle. Right? It is a, a supernatural move of God. But it's something that we can't fabricate or predict, but we can prepare and maximize. And if you want to locate it where it all started for Nehemiah and how he had the ability to rally people up and do it in 51, 52 days... You can find that in Nehemiah 1.4. The Bible says, when I heard this, I sat down and wept. In fact, for days I mourned, fasted and prayed to the God of heaven. Can I say, my brother, it all starts with you hearing from God, with a broken heart, laying down before God, weeping, God, I need you to give me breakthrough. So what's simply needed is a man that will get a hold of God and a people willing to follow. You know, it's not an OMG here. It's not one-man gang pa pastor does everything. You know, if you, 
want to see your church go from a hall to actually a building. You're going to have to get behind your pastor. You're going to have to, as Pastor Walsh preached last night, be close enough to hear the heart and the vision of what God has for your church because your pastor and his wife has laid down their lives in order to build something for God in your area. That's in your hood. And your responsibility for that is to get behind that and see. God is looking for a people that will be set on fire for him. See, Nehemiah, Nehemiah found after that, he found favor, right? He got the money, he stirred the meaning, and got momentum. And it must come from every heart of every individual wanting more from God. Will you hear the heart beat of your pastor? Because although he won't stand up there and show all the various struggles and battles that he goes through, can you hear it? Do you understand it? Will you make yourself available for it? You know, I, 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 I'm always like an usher. <laughs> In my mind, once an usher, always an usher. Because you know how an usher thinks? What does my pastor need? Last night I was itching, trying to, uh, I wanted to get up and tell the people over there, shut down the music. <laughs> Did anyone else think that? <laughs> but still today, I'm always thinking, what does my pastor need? And how can I meet that need in, in, in my best, I guess, ability? And that's how it ought to be for every single one of us. Doesn't matter your role or position. Because it wasn't about that. Right? These people got together. It wasn't about whose who's, who's role is whose. No, no, we're doing this as a team. Can you hear the heartbeat of your pastor? Are you able to keep in line with the rhythm that he's set out in the church? Or are you always barking against it? Or is calendar's too busy? <laughs> Listen, I'm all for, you know, doing stuff, right? And we need to do stuff, right? Because we've got a pattern in what we do. And what we do, can I encourage you this morning, works. You may not see seasons of response, but listen, keep doing what you're doing because it works. You just have to believe that it works. And in a moment, God will bring it. But you have to keep in tempo with the rhythm of what we are doing. I close with this illustration. Dragon boats. Were um, scriptures and everything coming up? All right. You're going to have to see the pictures. I'm so glad the words are big now. It's just like accommodated for us Asians. <laughs> I have to put that in somehow. Dragon boat racing originating in China. Two and a half, no, no, not that photo yet. Two and a half, uh, 2,500 years ago, right? They, they, they actually involved 20 paddlers. One drummer at the front, and he would drum this beat, right? And it, through this rhythm, these 12 paddlers would begin to roll in time, right? But this picture, the Indians take it to another level. <laughs> this is the Nauru boat race. 
which carries 120 men on a boat. They could have rowed all the way to Australia. <laughs> Fresh off the boat. But they take this to another level. Right? And the challenge here is the dynamic that happens here because as the larger things grow, dynamics change. But the challenge is for the team members to listen to the, 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 the cadence of the coach who stands actually in the middle, hitting his rod to the ground and calling out instructions. And so to keep in sync the men that are in front and the men that are behind, they would have to tune in and listen. They would have to hear the voice of their coach. And the race is actually not won by the 100 best men, but rather by the 100 men that work best together. So when a church values the vision and heeds the voice of their pastor, listen, church goes beast mode. That's where we need to go. That's where we need to get. If you're here this morning, allow God to turn you to a flame of fire that will inspire others. I mean, that's all I have. Thanks again for listening to the free version of the VBPH Sermon Podcast, where we post sermons on Mondays, Wednesdays, Fridays, and Sundays. We also have a premium version of this podcast, which posts sermons and interviews every single day of the week. So why would you want to subscribe? I'm glad you asked. I have five reasons for you. Number one, on the premium version, we post full versions of Testimony Tuesday, Pastor Campbell Thursday, and Study Day Saturday. If you'd like to hear those episodes, then subscribe now. Reason number two, uninterrupted listening. We remove all ads and all extraneous content from our premium feed. Reason number three. Premium episodes always release six hours earlier than the free version. If you're an early bird, it's a great reason to subscribe. Number four. Our subscribers will gain access to our sermon chat group on WhatsApp, where we interact directly with listeners around the globe. If you'd like to chat with other premium subscribers, subscribe today. And finally, every dollar we raise goes to world evangelism. This is the best reason to subscribe because you are helping us launch churches all around the world. We don't put one dime in our pockets. Everything that we raise from this podcast will go directly to Thursday night of Chandler Conference. So please subscribe today by using the links in the show notes below. Thanks. so much for listening to the sermon podcast of the Virginia Beach Potter's House Church. Were you blessed by today's message? Let us know. Please leave us a rating on Apple Podcast or on Podchaser. We'll be back next time with another life-changing word from heaven. God bless.